This is episode 144 of IDRA Class Notes. We have some very specific kinds of things that we're doing. It's a collaborative effort. It is not identifying a problem and then everybody going at each other's throats. It's what are we going to do about this educational arena that will benefit children and their families? And how does that tie into what schools are trying to do as well? So that it not only forms a good bond, but it forms a basis for good communication. It also forms long-lasting relationships. It's not just a one-time shot. Welcome back to IDRA's Class Notes. This is Aurelio Montemayor, and I'm with my colleagues, Francis Guzman and Hector Bojorquez. And we're going to be having a, an ongoing conversation about our comunitario PTAs, our community PTAs. Something that's been happening recently is the national organization of PTA really taking an interest and focusing on these things happening in South Texas in the lower Rio Grande Valley. On May the 24th, Otha Thornton, the national PTA president, visited South Texas. He got a first-hand view of this comunitario movement. And over the past five years, we've had five organizations come up, two with some history, and three more in the wings. So he was invited, and he was hosted by the Arise South Tower Community PTA. And the invitation came from Lourdes Flores, who was the founder of the first one that's just celebrated its fifth year. He visited the Arise Cesar Chavez PTA, was hosted there. The superintendent of the Far San Juan Alamo School District, Dr. Daniel King, was there. The press was there. In fact, from that visit, there were several newspaper articles that came out in Spanish, one on the Mexican side, so it became an international event. Mr. Thornton also visited the PTAs in far south Texas, in Brownsville, where Proyecto Juan Diego and the Mano a Mano groups have formed PTAs, plus others that are in formation. Mr. Thornton inducted the officers for the existing and those in the process of organizing themselves. The visit reinforced how important the efforts in South Texas are to the National Office of PTA. A month later, uh, the National PTA Convention held in Austin, Texas, was also a point of reference that the President or the Thornton presented several presidential awards in the last uh, general session of the convention. The Arise Cesar Chavez Comunitario PTA received one. In his words, he said, I would like to present this Presidential Exceptional Community PTA Award to the Cesar Chavez Arise Comunitario PTA for their work in the Spanish-speaking communities of South Texas and all the other Comunitario PTAs. They are doing a marvelous job of creating new PTAs and bringing in new members. They are a model to follow. Congratulations. Well, all that's well and good, but so how do you establish one of these Comunitario PTAs? Francis? Well, we have a, a special innovative project grant that allows us to do this, but what we have found out through our many years of research and working with the folks in the Valley is that we work with bona fide grassroots organizations, and we're looking at folks who not only are part of community but are willing to be involved in the educational aspect of what's going on in community, so that we have some very specific kinds of things that we're doing. We're building trust 
and communication, hopefully, so that whatever we do is also happening with whatever they decide to do with schools. We're transforming what we think is the, the traditional PTA organizational model to one that is community-based, that their business is conducted in the home language of the community, and that it is it does not have fundraising as its main focus. In fact, that is never the case. And there's a lot of training, a lot of technical assistance, so that the groups that do form as Comunitario PTAs not only have information for themselves, but then can also go and give and assist other folks in the area with that same information, dealing with educational issues. Hector, what are some things that you're facing? You're helping organize new uh, groups in San Benito, in Harlingen, in Los Fresnos. What are some things that come up as you help the groups get organized? Well, actually piggybacking on something she said and going to that, the the actual nature of the community-based organization, you have to be very careful that it's not a YMCA or a YWCA or any sort of organization that's considered a CBO, but it's not a grassroots organization where the leadership and the members are actually part of that community. It's not like an outside entity that would be considered a community-based organization because you have lots of those that could be considered CBOs. It needs to be somebody that's really rooted in there. I mean, these groups do good community service, mm -hmm. but their outreach and connection to families is not as strong or authentic. It's not what a grassroots organization is doing. What is authentic outreach in your your mind? It has to be face-to-face communication on a regular basis, not just let's hold a meeting and have people come in, but you're trying to build a relationship on a regular basis where you're uh, listening to the concerns of the community. So you know that the actual pulse of what's going on, that you have an idea, that you have an agenda already prior to that, but that, you know, you are really listening, deeply listening to those concerns, and that's how you begin to form those authentic relationships that feed into what a good CBO host this PTA community would be, because then the actual problems that are going to, they're going to identify in schools will be something that they are very concerned with, that they have intimate uh, knowledge of. You know, we are currently in the second year of a four-year federally funded project to see what impact this kind of an organization has on children, children in school, and their achievement. The I3 Investing in Innovation project is looking carefully at the impact of an organization that's community-based but connects in some way to a traditional PTA And in fact, we have one right now that has a very formal Mm -hmm. relationship. The Cesar Chavez Elementary School is in a formal relationship with Arise. A memorandum of agreement was signed after spending a year organizing that PTA. The group of parents approached the principal and said, we as Arise would like to have a relationship with you and have the PTA on campus, but it's a shared responsibility. Why do you think that shared responsibility is important? Well, first of all, it points to what we are also trying to achieve in that it's a collaborative effort. It is not identifying a problem and then everybody going at each other's throats. It's what are we going to do about this educational arena that will benefit children and their families? And how does that tie into what schools are trying to do as well? So that it not only forms a good bond, but it forms a basis for good communication. It also forms long-lasting relationships. It's not just a one-time shot. 
You know, our model uh, of family leadership and education, we've all contributed to that. We've worked for over 30 years here at IDRA with this model. Over time, you know, trial and error, we realized that no matter how strong our support is for family leadership, there has to be a base where it's nurtured and supported. And we found that campuses alone, it's very difficult for that to happen. The parents don't have the authority, the power that they do within a community organization. But by the same token, if it stays just within the community organization, it is still separate from the school. Mm -hmm. So in our project right now, there's three major objectives. To evaluate the starting of a new one, and then to connect to the school, to have a connection with the campus, and that the parents relate directly to what's going on on that campus, and then that there be projects and that these projects be based on data about the school. How do we get the parents to see the data, Hector? The, the way that we've been doing this is we have uh, already a way for parents to do this through our IDRA Our School portal, uh, where people can go in and see how well their high schools are preparing students uh, for college, how well they're scoring, uh, how well they're preparing students to uh, perform on the STAR tests, along with SAT and ACT scores, and even developmental classes. And it's done in a very um, simple, easy-to-read fashion. Uh, The parents can be shown one graph, and they immediately see the implications of what's going on. They'll have tons of questions and already want to start to approach schools just based on you know a simple graph that shows how well they're doing on star test or how many kids are doing well on the star SAT test and ACT. is the Texas uh, required the Texas right the Texas standardized test that we use when you have something that's comprehensible and it's in both languages in this particular case the parents will eat it up we've been very fortunate in that sense that we've been able to have build our capacity to do that to have that information there other states and other places may not have this. Uh, in other states, they have to rely on the gigantic spreadsheets right. that, <laughs> that See, are up on One of the things that IDRA for the longest time has been out to prove, and it's not hard to prove it, is that not only are their families interested in the education of their children, when presented information in a meaningful way, they will understand it and they will use it. Even before organizing a PTA, our, our information has been of great interest to families. It has to be bilingual. And it has to be in jargon-free language, but that's for any parent. Mm -hmm. And we found that they are not only eager to hear the information, they use it. And because they're based in community organizations, it's a network that the information spreads through. Right. The biggest mistake an organization can make, an organization like ourselves or a school or anybody who's dealing with parents, is thinking, we have to get parents through a course or several lessons on how to interpret graphs or on what all this means in order to get them to understand just the results. Now you go ahead and show the results. Mm -hmm. They see dropout rates, they understand them immediately. Mm -hmm. When they see the scores on the ACT and SAT, they understand immediately what it means. And for many parents, it's been a surprise that there's a whole battery of tests. It's been instructive. There's a lot of things they don't know, but it's not hard to get them to understand that information. Now, as a matter of fact, the questions that come up have to do with... uh, the process of the American education system rather than, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. And this data is not just something to use eventually once they're organized. It's data that is presented to them as they're organizing. It's what makes them interested in having an organization where they can talk about this information with each other. Plus, it also gives them a way to connect to other 
families, mm -hmm. not only of their community-based group, but their immediate or extended families and the families whom they may know in other surroundings because they said, did you know that our schools have this? Mm -hmm. So it's another way of making sure that the public, which is the thing that moves public schools has the information that they need so that if there's a problem identified, we can work on it together. About the only thing that I would say uh, final about the data is that you really don't want to have just one thing, like the statement, uh, the state test, and that's it. Because then it, it does give the impression that that is the end-all be-all of what the students need to know in order to get to college. You really should show what the state is mandating your test, your students to take and then a real, authentic, end result test, like maybe an SAT or ACT, or how they're doing once they get into college. If you just show one thing, then parents will be like, okay, well, then, you know, I can live with 75% or something like that. And, and the other thing is, because our meetings are for a lot of communication, we don't have people with earphones hearing a translation, because they're not there just as recipients of data. They're there to have a conversation about it. Our meetings are very dynamic. Uh, we make sure we have bilingual people at each setting. A lot of our presentations are in Spanish. But as long as the language is understood, the families are ready to have critical conversations and then to act on that information. And I think that's the critical part. Once families in particular get information, then they do something about it whether it is setting up a meeting with a particular counselor or a particular principal or even a whole group of people, that's what's going to start the movement going for them in their schools. And we're hoping that both the state and the national PTA organizations learn from these events. It's not so much what PTA can give to these groups, but what we're looking is how these groups can inform PTA and schools in terms of what authentic outreach is and what authentic family engagement is like. And we are creating families who, for the first time, feel that they not only can belong, but that they can contribute. And this is critical if I'm going to be involved in my child's education from now till whatever happens after graduation from college. Thank you. Thank you, Hector. Thank you, Francis. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.